Graham, uh, yes. Speaking of Jeff. crimes against humanity, you made me read Fantastic Four Annual 24 twice. I don't have to. I know. I Literally, here's the thing. I read it, mm-hmm. and I got to, um, like, maybe the last page. <laughs> and I was like, not only have I read this before, because I knew I'd read it before. Like, yeah. not only have I read this before. We've talked about exactly. it. Exactly. Like, going online and being like, we fucking did. We did talk about <laughs> before <laughs> i was so upset i'm like oh, i can't believe that i read this thing Hello, whatnots, and welcome to Baxter Building episode 49, where Jeff Lester and I, this is him over there. Yes, hello. I'm Graham McMillan, I should say that part as well. We're (laughs) fighting our way to the end of the first volume of Marvel's Fantastic Four comic, the world's greatest comic magazine, and... Spoilers, we're doing the annuals this time, and that is not true. But, Jeff, I have two things to say very quickly. One, yes, I did make us read 24, even though we covered it in the past. I'm really sorry, because it's terrible. But, 25, 26, 27, all very bad comics. But isn't it weirdly nice to have a break from the Paul Ryan of all? You know, I gotta tell you the thing that is... Even with her groupie. You know, oh well, oh my god. Herb Trimpey is his own special form of reward. I've descended into levels of comic book masochism that I did not know were po- po- even at all possible until Fantastic Four Annual number 25. But, Graham, here's a horrible confession. These, annu- these annuals, uh, as you know, are in some ways a tough slog, but there's not m- as many of them as, as we normally read. Uh, yeah, and... but there's just three comics we're doing this time, yes. man. 25, 26, and 27. And... Anyway, sorry, keep going. And so I have to say, uh, emboldened by your comments on it, uh, just in in discussing with me and over at the Tumblr, I went and got from Marvel Unlimited the first five issues or the first series of Fantastic Five by Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan that are... Like, as you said, strangely charming and so much more satisfying than the Fantastic Four issues we're reading by the it's same amazing, team. It's amazing, isn't it? I, it's it's genuinely amazing. There's there's a couple of reasons for this. And yes. honestly, honest, everyone, we will get to the annuals. Firstly, Paul Ryan inked by Al Milgram is a completely different artist. It's Isn't it weird? It's weird. A completely different artist. Yeah. It's genuinely stunning. It's it's strange because the results are, I mean, we have Milgram here. Uh, we'll be, t- depending on how much we want to retouch on Fantastic Four Annual 24. Let's just, no, let's just move through. Let's not even fucking bother. It's it's written and drawn and inked by him. And the stuff of him inking uh, Paul Ryan, like, works. Like, it's it yep, kind it of reminds really me of... Um, of Jerry Ordway, which I think I've mentioned in relation to Paul Ryan before, but 
but like not in a not as a negative comparison one by which ryan suffers poorly with also the work just seems open and airier his layouts seem looser in a way yeah, that's it's working a, it's, a, it's really really amazing it's it's like an entirely different artist yeah yeah like shockingly so like i just don't know what i mean i i guess there's like it's not a contemporaneous publication thing clearly but uh yeah it's just very strange to see work and defalco who in many ways is still very recognizably defalco like I found myself being like, oh, right, the his whole M2 universe uh, works a lot better. Like, whatever DeFalco is trying to do or whatever he thinks that a Fantastic Four comic should be, or I don't know if the, the Fantastic Five comes after the end of DeFalco and Ryan's run on the oh, Fantastic considerably, Four. Oh, considerably, considerably. Right. Because it's like... 97 or something like that right i want to say it might even be 99 yeah yeah okay and so it almost feels like they had learned a lot from the collaboration or something because um defalco posits little questions he's got his loose little plot like oh what does this mean in this for in the first f uh fantastic five series it's like what is the secret of big brain and what happened to reed and sue um but by the end it's he he kind of pays it off you don't there's not as much of a of a weird cheat feeling mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like it's mm -hmm. kind of like oh i you really it really made me wish in a way that um that he could have a do-over on some of this it's stuff. so so strange isn't it yeah. what's funny is i can't remember if i said this on the podcast or just told you offline but i read the comic creators on the fantastic four book that someone recommended in comments mm -hmm. uh, and ryan's in there and, and the book is by tom defalco so you have tom defalco interviewing ryan and they talk about fantastic five Mm -hmm. and they say that it was cancelled super early and is it only lasts five issues but the plan initially was within a year the fantastic five would have none of the fantastic four in it i believe it we we should, we should say when the when the book starts fantastic five is johnny and ben and franklin and elijah and who's the fifth oh reed reed as big brain yes and the plan was by the end of the first year none of the original team would be in it at all Mm. That, that Christoph would have been a member, mm -hmm. Cassie Lang would have been a member. Right. And you then know, Ben's Franklin. kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I like so much about Fantastic Five is interestingly that it is the inverse of what is very frustrating about Fantastic Four, which is Fantastic Four by DeFalcon Ryan feels strangled by the past. Mm. And Fantastic Five feels like an evolution. You know, it. It does. It it does. It feels like an evolution. It also feels like, um, uh, I got to admit, there's just that idea of like, okay, things are moving forward in a way, like by moving the characters and the character situations forward, DeFalco then also gets to have his cake. Like those first five issues, even though there's the undercurrent of the subplot, are basically done in once and and kind of comfortably 
too, you know? And mm -hmm. it, it was interesting how much it reminded me of, um, weirdly, the stuff that Morrison goes on to do at D DC or was doing with the case of DC 1 million, but, and also, of course, the stuff that, that, Roy Thomas was doing with uh, All Star Squadron or Infinity Incorporated, but but also sort of lighter and freer. It was kind of surprise. It was the I guess it's like the difference between like when you eat like like um, like uh, Defalco and Ryan's Fantastic Four has kind of been like eating really bad junk food, you know mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm. Fantastic Five was kind of like eating the fat-free alternatives to those junk food, where it was kind of like, oh, this is lighter. Like, it's still sort of, in a way, it's kind of the same taste, but it's not as heavy and greasy. Like, it, it honestly feels a little bit lighter and a little more composed you know and it it really it makes a hell of a difference i found myself being like oh shit i wonder if i should go back and hunt up like defalco's spider girl because it yeah so i had exactly the same it. thoughts mm -hmm. i was like do i want to read j2 which is like kids juggernauts oh not, right mm -hmm. the other stuff that's there you know avengers next yeah because fantastic five was a genuinely fun book yeah it really was and of course part of me is kind of like like you, it's as you as you pointed out in one of your Tumblr notes. I'm like Kristoff's back. I'm like Johnny and Lysha are married. Like it's kind of it's it's all the few elements of Defalco's and Ryan's FF run that I stand for is like oh look it's all it's right here like you know, it, and and everyone for the most part seems happy. So even yeah, it's funny. It, that that's something else that's really interesting about it. Mm -hmm. There, there's the soap opera aspect of the Tobacco Ryan run. It's still present, but it's not everyone suffering, yeah. which is what the Tobacco Ryan run is all about in Fantastic Four. Yeah. Everyone's life is just shit, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and instead in Fantastic Five, everyone is pretty much happy. Like you, even th that last issue, you get Christoph back and Cassie's there. And they're just happy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very much so. It's like this whole thing of like, oh, Doom's back and Diablo is like there to... And for whatever reason, you're kind of like, by the end of it, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, like DeFalco's big spin isn't even that Kristoff isn't evil because he has Cassie say as much. But it's like that they're actually a romantic couple, which is a ridiculous thing to have set up back in the Fantastic Four. Right, that's just it. It pays off that joke. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like in that weird comic booky kind of way. Like, oh, of course, two people who had crushes on each other when they were an indeterminate age. Like 12. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know. Actually got together. And also they're both superheroes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's... It's strangely, it's strangely appealing. I have to say, I completely, uh, I ended up really enjoying those it's issues. So surprising, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. I, oh. I, I genuinely love it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I, I thought that it would be good for us to have something that we could sort of talk about in a way that suggested enjoyment before we got into these annuals, because, because. 
I don't think there's any element in the in the three issues, 25, 26, or 27, that we're supposed to read that I enjoyed on an unironic level. You know what I mean? Like Interesting. Yeah, like Twice Upon a Time, the Citizen Kang Part 3, which is Mark Grenwald writing it and Herb Trimpey doing amazing fucking things. I enjoyed it on purely the most ironic levels of like, is Herb Trimpey taking the piss on the entire image generation or is he desperately trying to mimic it in order to keep getting work? I... Well, that's that's just it. It's I kind of have touched on this when I was complaining about Fantastic Four Unlimited, mm-hmm. which is which is a regular book he's doing yeah. with Roy Thomas and, and is in this style. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because there I was pretty much just like, no, this is fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Like, like these comics are shit, and he is whatever he is doing to try and remain relevant is horrible. It's ugly. It's it's just it just does not work. Mm-hmm. But in this issue, in Fantastic Four Annual Twenty Five, there are genuinely a couple of pages where I'm like, he's got to be doing a parody. Like this has to be like Doom Force, right? Yeah, because because the proportions are so. Yeah, yeah, and I mean Herb Trimpey is a dude who like drew a lot of issues of the Hulk. And I mean, he drew a lot of Marvel comics up into this point. And he had his various shortcuts and shortcomings, you know, but they really were nothing like this. Like he has pages where the panel flow is incoherent that he never did, never in like an issue of like, shogun warriors or something like that like trimpy was a guy who was notorious for like when he had to he would cut corners like you know draw someone coming in through the door and the door would be obscuring everything but the person's hand you know just to save Mm -hmm. him that much drawing time but here it's almost the opposite like he's doing stuff that is that again it just it almost feels like a piss take. And particularly because he's a guy who, um, you know, maybe one issue of the Hulk where uh, Betty Ross turned into the harpy aside, he didn't really play up the salaciousness of his figures or maybe he didn't have a lot of opportunity to. But this book is like some dude just like, like just had a crazy amount of MDAMA and poppers and just started drawing the episode. Like there's, there's panels of Hercules buttocks that are like dudes asses. And like, there's a shot of the black widow talking where the close up is like on her, on the black widow boob is the center of the, of the panel. And it's, I mean that there it's, there are choices here that are genuinely inexplicable. Yeah. And, and, in such a way, and because again, Trimpy has had decades of experience at this point. Yeah, that you're just like, even if someone has told them draw like Rob Liefeld, mm-hmm. you know, which apparently they did. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 comic creators on Fantastic Four book has Ralph Macchio basically say that an editor told him that he had to draw like Rob Liefeld in order to keep getting work. Mm-hmm. But even if that's true, there is a way to do that without doing some of the it's staggering anatomy choices mm-hmm. that that happen 
in in this comic. Like it has to be a parody. Oh, it's amazing. I put I put a couple of pages up on the the wait what Tumblr this week. Mm-hmm. Where I mean, there's just there's just there is one page if you're looking at the GAD core thing. It's page twenty seven. Oh yes, yeah. It's, it's it's inexplicable. Yes, it's inexplicable. Yeah, there's stuff. The there's a page where like Cersei shows up like on page fifteen or whatever sixteen where she's like bending over and pushing a panel and it's hilarious like it's the most ridiculous salacious pose like and yeah exactly it's like i have to press this button but let me do so at a 90 degree exactly i'm gonna reach way over here like oh it's unbelievable there's so much stuff that made me laugh and then again there's like there's shots of like hercules I mean, it really does. It does seem like Doom Force. Um, there's there's a shot of the Black Knight when he's fighting Mister Fantastic again, where it's like it's him from his behind, and his 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 ass cheeks are larger than like his shoulders, and like his feet are like so tiny. They're like, and this and the foot's supposed to be closer than the ass. Like it really does feel like an amazing parody. I just don't. You know, it's it's. I know that you know Trimpy, of course, had written a little uh, thing about. Pretty much, this was his. You know, he had to keep drawing like this to get work. And then, when Marvel was through with him, kind of like that was it. He couldn't get work anywhere. You know, mm. and I think he was in his mid fifties or something, and ended up going back and started teaching in public schools and stuff. But, but like. I almost wonder the extent to which Marvel was like, yeah, you know, you can't sort of, we know what you're doing. Like, there's no way that you can't be doing this to like, as a complete piss take on us. But but know? at this point, he is getting regular work from the Fantastic Four office. Right. Not only that, Citizen Kang is, we should say, is in is the main story of, of Annual 25. It's also part three of a four-part crossover. Yes. It had gone, I think it went Thor Annual, Captain America Annual, then Fantastic Four, and then ends in Avengers. Mm-hmm. The creative team of this Fantastic Four Annual is also the creative team of the Avengers Annual. Mm-hmm. So it's Mark Greenwald and Herb Trimpey. Again. Oh, shit. I almost looked up the Avengers Annual just to see if Trimpey had drawn it. Fuck. Oh. Yep, he did. Um, and it's exactly the same creative team, mm-hmm. and so he. I mean, Trippy is getting regular work from Marvel at this right, point, right? Right. Like he, he is, I, and maybe we are being too generous in saying he's he's doing like an, a, an open parody, but it's it's a parody that is either successful or is not noticed because he is getting regular work all the way through the cancellation of Fantastic Four Unlimited, at least, right? Which is just. Holy shit. One of the things that's interesting about the Avengers annual is he just does breakdowns on two different inkers who finishes. Mm-hmm. And first of the inkers does what is essentially like a Joe Sinnott-esque finish over it. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how much better it all looks. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. still has the, I mean, staggeringly bad anatomy, the, the confusing page layouts, mm-hmm. the sort of lack, like none of these pages at you know, maybe I'm wrong, but Jeff, did you not think that any of these pages, like they all lacked illegibility? Yes. Yeah. Take the word balloons out of these panels and you would have no idea what was happening. Honestly, when the word panels go in, the pages are laid out so badly 
that like they can barely fit the word panels in in an order that makes sense. Like there's a mm -hmm. lot of times where you just can't follow the flow even through the words because they can't put the they can't put the word balloons in a proper order without covering up something crucial. Like he's not even really giving them enough room to help the writer help guide you through the page. Like it's it's there's uh, I can I want to say it was this one, but maybe it was uh, the Avengers annual. There's a page where like it just does it's it's maybe it's in the backup story. It's the it amazing backup sense. story. Yeah, there, there's there's a panel is there where literally I don't understand what's happening on the page. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just again, this man literally knows better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That does not know better. It's to say that he learned nothing in his entire career to this point, which I just find impossible to yeah. believe. Well, yeah. I mean, yes. Like, it to the level of, you just don't... I mean, it's so clear. This is nothing like his style that was relatively consistent from, like, Hulk to Shogun Warriors to the... Like, he didn't he draw the first issue of G.I. Joe, for fuck's sake? Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I, I want to say more than just the first issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, he, he's a guy who knew his, um, knows how to draw military tech. You know, it was, there's a lot of stuff. And so when you see the unbelievable backup story, which is Mantis versus Moon Dragon versus Herb Trimpey versus Basic Human Anatomy, it's, it's stunning. I mean, it's hilarious it's genuinely hilarious but at the same time it's it's not good laughter it's not healing laughter Graham. you <laughs> it's, know it's kind of amazing it so i'm curious after seeing this and, and you know it's stunning and it's hilarious but not good hilarious does it make you tempted to read the fantastic four unlimited series that Roy thomas did oh yeah definitely definitely yeah 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 no i want a piece of that and in fact a uh, friend of the podcast, and particularly, I should say, friend of the Baxter Building podcast, Matthew Murray, uh, uncovered a bunch of issues of Fantastic Four Unlimited and sent them to me. So I actually have a stack that I could read. And, and just looking at the covers feels like I should be able to apply for financial restitution from somebody. You know what I mean? Like, it's painful. Yeah, and the, the stories are crazy in that as well. Mm. Well, like, are, they're, they're very strange because theoretically it ties in with what's happening in the main Fantastic Four title, and they really don't. Oh my god! Like it, it gives lip service, but it's literally you know it'll be a, a, in terms of writing an old school Fantastic Four story, mm -hmm. but in the middle of like one panel, Sue will suddenly think maybe I'm possessed by malice or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, there's the idea of this style being written by Roy Thomas fills me with genuine dread. Um, it, it honestly feels like, you know, what were either of them thinking? Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because you think Thomas and, and Trimpey would be like, a, you know, classical school team. Oh, completely. No, it's, 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 yeah. it's horrible. Yeah. It's, it's just an astonishingly bad comic. Yeah. Yeah. And so check it out, Jeff. Definitely. <laughs> I can't wait. I cannot wait. Also, uh, so uh, do we need to actually talk about what happens in this other than, you know, crimes against art? I mean, it's Kang and well, twice upon a time. <laughs> 
<laughs> the short version of this is the Fantastic Four are approached by Dr. Druid and the artist formerly known as Nebula. Yes. And they pretty much are like, remember Nebula? She's not Nebula at all. She's someone who was pretending to be Nebula and it's called the Temptress. <laughs> and the Temptress, it, it hilariously, a lot of people joke about image artists gave women balloon breasts. Yeah. And in Herb Trimpey's artwork, that is 100% true. Oh, completely it true. Is, it is genuinely shocking, mm-hmm. the proportions he, he gives this poor woman. She and Dr. Rood are basically like, time, time's getting fucked up. We've, like, let's, we, we've got it started out. And they go to the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four are like, sure, we're up for an adventure. We should say this is the FF before, like, Reed's dead or anything. Yeah, yeah. This classical school FF. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time as this is going on, the Avengers are also like, oh, well, the Vision and Captain America and Thor have disappeared in the earlier two chapters by a town called Timely. Mm-hmm. Because Mark Grunewald's writing this comic. Yeah. And so they decide to go and investigate uh, with that classic battle cry, <laughs> Avengers Advance. Yeah, I read that and I was like, wait, did they fucking change that? Like, I, I, you and I did a, a a relatively fast read through of the first 300 issues of the Avengers and things were kind of going downhill by the time we jumped off. But did it keep going down to the point where they started saying Avengers advance or I honestly, I don't know. I don't think so. Like that seems new to me. Okay. Cause I was just like, ah, and also there's part of me where being, less than generous to Mark Grenwald, which after this issue is fair, uh, I was like, maybe he just didn't like the idea of them yelling out assemble when they were already all together in the same room. So he had to come up with something else. I don't know. It seems convincing. I'm I'm down for it. Anyway, <laughs> as luck might have it, the two of them end up completely meeting in the same place because of course they are. It's, it's you know, it, a classic, quote unquote, you know, <laughs> we fight like... We must fight for no immediately apparent reason. The reason is honestly that the Temptress is like, I want to see them fight, which is yeah. nuts that they both fall for it. And they do. They fight for like six or seven pages. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. And the fight is only broken up by at the very end of the story, Gang showing up with his anachronauts yes. who are in in Herb Trimpey's beautiful artwork. Um men in like oh plastic muscle suits that yeah. are like two sizes too big yeah. all of whom are either gritting their teeth or actually shouting silently yeah it's it's amazing how much Herb Trimpey really captures uh, the anachronauts look precisely like something that uh, a 14 year old boy would draw in his high school notebook while bored in class you know, before basically being caught and sent to the counselor for therapy. Cause, and it's hilarious because I don't recognize all of Kang's anachronauts, but the few that I do recognize the idea that they would actually hold up against the Avengers and the FF makes me laugh so hard. I really did want to read the annual, you know, cause the, it's, the Avengers annual. Yeah. Oh, let me just tell you that the Avengers <laughs> annual, which I did read is, is every bit as good as this? It lived up to this oh, this no. issue. Wow! Yeah. Can I can I spoil the end of it? Oh please! Well, I, there's two things I want to spoil. One, the uh, gentleman 
at the very back of the team of the Anachronauts in the Fantastic Four Annual, mm-hmm. who who genuinely has a head that is maybe three sizes too small for his body. Yes. In a stunning way. Turns out to be the second Black Knight. Yeah. Not Sir Percy, but the one afterwards. Oh, God. Who has the ebony blade. And, of course, Dane Whitman, who's in the Avengers at this point, is basically like, I know you. You're the Black Knight. And he's like, well, fuck you. And <laughs> Dane's like, why Why are you fighting for Kang? Are you mind-controlled? And he's like, no, I'm just a dick. <laughs> Which is beautiful. <laughs> He's like, I just think all the other Black Knights are, are idiots. I, I'm fighting for myself. Kang's in for it. Cool. Cool uh, beans. Let's fight. Uh, uh, Do you want to know who the temptress is? Yes. Ravona. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, yes, it is. No. Yes, it is. And the she, it, it's, again, Mark Grunewald's, I don't know what he was doing. Ravonna like it reveals herself and is like, "It's me. I was your beloved, but now I must stop you." Mm-hmm. And Kang's response is honestly to say, "This is great because, to be honest, I was getting pretty bored with you being sweet. I was going to dump you when you woke up from your coma, but now that you're like this, like this, this is awesome. You're oh. super hot. Uh huh. Like, no, you must die. There's a fight." Mm-hmm. At some point, she's in, in mortal danger, and Kang throws himself in front of the danger. And Kang ends up in the coma. And the issue ends with Ravona being like, No, now the, the, the slaughter must continue in Kang's name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, I... Uh, I guess. So funny, where was I reading? Was it in a future issue where they were talking about Kang's being all like, ah, Ravona, I left, I brought her back. And then she ran off with a mortis. She fell in love with him because he was everything that was cool and awesome. And she thought I was a dick and I hate her and I hate him. And I hate, I hate all of them. Like, was that, what was I reading that that was like a thing? <laughs> no. Oh my know. God. It's not one of these annuals. Cause I swear to God, I, didn't think I'd read yeah. anything but this in the Fantastic well, what, Five. Well, what's super weird is so there's this. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Fantastic Five. Well, there's there's so there's this Fantastic Four annual where where it was Citizen Kang Part Three or Four, right? And then Kang shows up again in the next annual. No, right. two annuals from now. Two annuals from now. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's a backup with that. No, it's maybe it is. I don't know. Anyway, it's just more the idea that I sort of love that someone had like. Kang had his girl stolen from him by himself. You know what I mean? I'm kind of like, yeah, I can see that, actually. He's to- probably totally into it, though. Yeah. Well, like, I, given his response to Ravonna being like, now you must die, which is genuinely, I thought you were boring when you were sweet, but now that you want to kill me, this is kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's probably, com- like, 100% into, like, what's that? I've been cuckolded <laughs> by myself. That's the best thing. <laughs> Kang time cuck. That is like the worst. Oh God! Like with time fucker. (laughs) It's true. They have to team up. Time fucker and time cuck are like that's like the unhealthiest like time dysfunction. Oh my God! This stuff writes its. I want to say writes itself, but honestly, I feel like look as we can see from these annuals, it really doesn't. It really doesn't actually, and. I have to say, Mark Grunwald, uh, 
I mean, I should save this for his second Fantastic Four annual, but I have to say, he's not a man who seems to have any affinity for the Fantastic Four at all, or, I mean, based on these two issues, interesting storytelling. So, I mean, I'm glad that I'd read some other stuff by him. It's true. Like, I, I'm a big fan of his Captain America, mm-hmm. but if I had not read that and had only read these two issues, I'd be like, Mark Grunewald was a really shitty fill-in writer. Yeah. That occasionally was given books that he didn't really know anything about it's it's amazing reading these two books to think that you know he was considered the torchbearer for marvel yeah because these these two issues are are rough to say the least but you're right in in neither of these two issues and especially annual 25 suggests that he has not only any affinity but any interest in the fantastic four well, yeah, I mean, it's which in a way sort of makes sense in this issue, considering it's a um, it's, it's, it's a crossover. Of, yeah, crossover. exactly. Also, it's crossover where realistically it's an Avengers story. Yeah. Like part one is Captain America. Part two is Thor. Mm-hmm. You know, Fantastic Four do stick out as the sore thumbs. Yeah. And, and they are pretty much here because someone is, is like, well, we, we need a time machine. And the Fantastic Four has probably got a time machine. Right. And that that's the that's the extent of their involvement with the story. Yeah, exactly. And so to me, by the time so I'm like, okay, so you can kind of forgive them for that. But then Fantastic Four Annual twenty seven, which we'll get to and is a failure on its own different terms, is not part of a tie in, is a self contained story, although it plays with larger FF continuity, and is similarly deeply, deeply uninterested in the Fantastic Four. Like uh just dramatically i mean don't get me wrong i think that the uh this monster backup story featuring the thing which is written by tom defalco who will go on Mm -hmm. to write many issues of the ff is a really sort of clumsily written story but at least has an idea of who the characters are and right exactly it's a it's a very simple story yeah you know, exactly. the thing is in a bad mood. Franklin tries to cheer him up by getting him to play Nintendo. He breaks a Nintendo. He's like, I'm a monster. And Franklin's like, why don't we play football? So video games aren't your thing. The end. Right. Exactly. Like, it's, it's astonishingly, astonishingly simple. Mm-hmm. But it, like, you, you, it fits in your idea of who Ben is. It fits in your idea of who Franklin is. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Oh, you know what, Graham? This is so funny. So, right. That Sorry. I don't mean to be distracted, but yes, that at least I was like, okay, Tom DeFalco is a guy who is into the Fantastic Four. Mark Grunwald does not seem so deeply uninterested. The other story, Moon Dragon and Mantis, uh, I don't know why it's in here. Um, it's written by someone who I'm not familiar with, who to to I feel at least again does due diligence with the characters. Uh, Sonia Ratcliffe at least is doing something with moon dragon and mantis and kind of makes sense. And then, and then there is panels of like literally some of the most embarrassing comic art I've ever seen from Herb Trimpey, which is amazing. And then Graham right after that is the Kang hall of mirrors. That basically is a really boring recap of all of Kang's appearances. And at the end, it talks about Amortis stealing ravona's girl now oh, yeah so that's where i read it it was 
really so incredibly dull, but that neither of us could remember. But it's in the exact I same issue. Didn't re- I did not remember that three was even in it. I know. I'm not joking. I'd, I'd, I, Jeff, I read this comic this morning. No, I know. I read it several hours ago, and I'm like, I feel like I read this at some point where Ravona's like, taken off with the whole time cuck thing and you're like jeff no (laughs) that didn't happen (laughs) well in our defense listeners uh you could call uh ff annual 25 an embarrassment of riches as long as you remember to leave off the of riches part (laughs) although i will say this kirk yanovan is that the name of the the artist Mm -hmm. who does a couple of pinups and does the, the this monster story Mm-hmm. He's an R. Adams clone, but he I really like his stuff. Oh yeah. Actually, yes. His 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 art on the um the thing backup is is very enjoyable and I don't know, for whatever reason, is kind of almost a little more satisfying than Art Adams, I guess. You know? Maybe he's more uh, uh Mike Golden. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Because something... there, there, is, there is something more, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, solid about his work. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's that. I mean, who knows? I was less underwhelmed by his pinup pages. But honestly, the, the thing backup story kind of reminded me of the sort of thing that would end up in Marvel fanfare, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. it was. Yeah, it, very yeah. much. Mm-hmm. I, I am going to put this out there jeff and maybe you you strongly disagree as bad as fantastic for annual 25 is fantastic for annual 26 might be worse oh god yeah oh god yes dreadface lives (laughs) which maybe tells you everything you need to know about the story you may remember dreadface you might have thought wasn't there a story (laughs) where like ben and johnny were stranded on an island and and an ape was possessed by like a venom <laughs> ripoff. Graham. And then you thought that that couldn't have happened. I must have been really high and and dreamt it. You know, no, what? it did happen. Yeah, it did happen. It happened in F Fantastic Four three sixty. And I'll be honest, I didn't remember the character at all really? until it was mentioned in an editor's note, and I'm like, oh fuck, I read that not too long ago. I re- and I so I reread that issue and I'm like, oh right, I forgot his name was Dreadface. I forgot that he looked like despair, basically, and I forgot everything other than just sort of the alien and predator ripoff stuff. But well, and and he's and he's Venom, yeah. like he's he, yeah. and to the point where in this story in particular, when they start calling him a symbiote, you're like. Wow. Yeah, he's just Venom. Oh yeah. He's like he's like boring Venom. Oh god. This issue is 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 horrible. It's got it's got everything that I quote unquote loved about last issue, which is to say Herb Trimpey once again somehow even morely more direly taking the piss out of the image artists. Um, oh, there's some there's some genuinely shocking stuff yeah in this, in this issue yeah uh, yeah completely it, it, the show notes for, for these annuals may honestly just be meeting screenshots of the herb i kind of think you like, have to see? yes see? you almost can't convey anything but th- the thing that is also really amusing to me about this annual is a it's terrible b 
B, it continues Tom DeFalco's weird tradition of introducing new third stringer superheroes uh, in the course of a story. Uh, except C, in this one, it introduces a new character who literally goes on to do nothing. Like, serves no purpose in the story. Oh, what the... In Tom DeFalco's defense, mm-hmm. I might be wrong, but I think this was the year where all the Marvel annuals had to introduce a new character. Oh, okay. All right. Well, but, I mean, I'm kind of okay with that, but, like... The whole idea of introducing and, – and don't get me wrong. I feel that while there's a lot of stuff about Wild Streak that I don't care about, there is something to be said for the fact that she is a handicapped woman of uh, color who gets to be a superhero and whose dad it was basically a reformed agent of Hydra who couldn't find – who turned to super villainy because he couldn't find regular jobs in the racist yeah. uh, straight like, world. It, it's so funny. There's so much potential with Wild Streak. Yeah. Like, really seriously. Mm-hmm. The, the, no one has ever brought this character back and tried to do something with her. Is nuts. Yeah. Because, I mean, for all we know, maybe she died, like, the very next year in some crossover. Exactly. But it, both her and her dad's origin story. Mm-hmm is so filled with potential. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this is way better than, oh, God, what was, the, who were those idiots, Code Blue or whatever that DeFalco yeah, yeah. introduced? Like I, I, like, I didn't care about them. I didn't care about, like, the pocket protector or whatever his name is who ends up in Fantastic Force, you know, like lots of characters. But this one, I was like, oh, this is kind of, like, this there like you said there's potential here and they she's got an opening chapter where she beats guys up and then the next chapter you kind of get their origin and then and I'm like okay this should work out and then when it comes down to fighting the bad guys she she literally does nothing she literally mm-hmm. just hangs out and watches the dramatic denouement of you know the garbage oh, bad guy character but you know? here's the thing you say that, but the story stars Franklin, Psylord, mm-hmm. and Ben, and Franklin also does nothing mm-hmm. in the denouement of the story. Well... He, he doesn't! <sighs> he literally flies around and then has a shield to stop people being blown up. Mm-hmm. But that's it. For that matter, Ben doesn't do anything. Well, see, that's it. Almost nobody does anything. The thing is, is that by the time Psylord does something it's presented in the least interesting way. But, you know, he's supposed to be doing this thing where he has to psychically separate Ben from Dreadface to prevent Ben's possession. And so if he didn't do that, like arguably that's a character that no other member of the Fantastic Four could do. I mean, you know... It's still stupid, and it's all also from this horrible because it's the early days of Franklin. It's of Franklin slash Psylord, where everyone's not even really sure that it's him. In fact, it opens up with the testing with Reed going, "Yep, he's our son," and, and Sue losing her fucking mind. <laughs> and exactly, and I'm like, Reed, 
why should we trust you when you clearly can't even identify your wife? Like that whole thing of, oh, of Sue, like losing her shit in that amazing FF, uh, in that amazing herb trimpy art. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. Anyway. So, and he's like, oh, they're there, dear. You know, so you're losing your mind and your eyes are now the size of tiny little pinpricks. It's, it's not so bad. And then Franklin. And your hair, like your hairline is like <laughs> going up significantly. <laughs> anyway, so Franklin then just based on the psychic impression of a letter ends up, you know, mind manipulating uh, Ben to coming to this. Uh... Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. So Franklin, it sees what looks like a bomb and is like, oh, it's full of letters. I love letters. Nowadays, you just, like where I come from, you just download messages, which is weird to read today, like yes. genuinely. Yeah. But then he touches a letter and is so like appalled by the psychic residue from the letter yes. that he then brainwashes Ben yep. to go on vacation with him to the source of the letter. Yeah. It's amazing. And also, this is the point where we're supposed to think that Franklin is maybe a good guy. And it's like, is he though? Because he just brainwashed Ben right. to go on vacation with him. Yes. Well, there there are 97 million thought balloons put inside Franklin's head so that you're supposed to be reassured. But of course, this is the idea that he is like, you know, a little more gritty. Like, he, you know, he's talking very vaguely about the horrors that he had to see in the future timelines. And of course there's all this stuff about the enemy, um, which of course later on we go, we, I, Graham, I have to say, did, did DeFalco ever figure out who the enemy was supposed to be? Like it's Nathaniel Richards, right? Or maybe it's it is, not still, right? right? I think no, so. I'm, I'm I mean, pretty sure it's Nathaniel Richards. Yeah. Also this wonderful wonderful comic includes franklin saying stab your eyes yes as nathan used to say <laughs> i fucking love that i'm just like what kind of insane person has the phrase stab my eyes as like your casual expletive and then later at one point when he's like you know he finally separates ben from dreadface he's like stab my eyes i did it <laughs> He calls people flat scans. Yes. Like, Jeff, did you read enough 1990s X-Men to know that, like, that's essentially, like, a weird racist term? <laughs> it, it, is it a weird racist term in the X-Men? Yes, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be, like, uh, what what bigoted mutants call humans. Oh. But, like, purposefully what bigoted mutants call humans. Right, right. Well, and weirdly, I feel like DeFalco is using it for a different end here, because the point being that these people are possessed and have no thoughts of their own. So that's why I assume that they're flat scans. Because that's... Yeah, bless you for thinking that. I I, <laughs> I think it's... Uh, who knows? Because we've talked before about how Franklin, adult Franklin, grown-up Psylord Franklin, mm -hmm. is weirdly just filled with Claremont ripoffs. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just assumed that it was, it was just ripping off that X Men thing. I, I think so too. But I mean, well, now that you've said it, because I didn't know it beforehand, but it, it sort of makes sense to me that A Defalco's ripping it off, and B did not necessarily know what it meant when he was ripping it off, or else was trying to refashion it 
in a in a way that was him being clever i don't know all i know is is that clever question mark <laughs> there there is a way to look at the this first main story as essentially the worst issue of marvel 2 and 1 uh never published but uh, or never published as a marvel 2 and 1 story but it's cuz there's no there's 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 no ff in this ff annual it's just it's just Ben and Franklin and... Well, no, there is reading Sue at the very start scanning Franklin and well, Sue That's what out. I'm saying. Like, there is no Johnny. No. Like, literally, Johnny does not appear in this book at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, Jeff, we, we're completely bypassing so much of the story. <laughs> like, first of all, should we give a plot synopsis, really? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But, yeah. no, the thing I want to... I actually want to talk about is Dreadface Returns possessing the girlfriend of a criminal masterminds flunky which is important because dreadface essentially says i can help you get out from under the thumb of your 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 boss mm-hmm. and the the flunky's like this is great like i am called he's called something it's not hannibal king but something similar something where his last name is king because he, he keeps on saying yes. i'm king of this castle yeah emmanuel king emmanuel king yeah mm-hmm. uh and so it of course goes shit of course it does. Mm-hmm. Dreadface jumps from the body of the the girlfriend to the body of like the bouncer, and and this causes Emmanuel King to to freak out and be like, "Oh well, I can't help you take over the world," because Dreadface is also creating. I'm not quite sure what's happening. He is mind controlling people so that they have no thoughts of their own. Question mark. Right. Like I, I genuinely was confused by that. Um. But the stories end, and the, when Jeff and I are saying that, you know, none of the heroes have anything to do with the denouement of the story, the story's end is that Emmanuel King blows up the building that he owns, the, the holiday resort that he's running. Uh, and the last panel is pretty much Ben telling Wildstreak and, and Franklin, Dreadface probably isn't dead, but we should probably just go home. <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> well, like, as... like like he actually says, the trouble is Dreadface ain't alive mm-hmm. by any uh, standards that we judge. Like, and I really doubt all we ever find is his body in this. And then he goes, you know something, kids? After all's been said and done, this has been a pretty crummy vacation. Next time, I make the arrangements. Yeah, yeah. It literally goes from yeah, the villain has not been stopped. totally totally especially because when you go back and re re reread ff 360 i don't know if it was like this was like a marvel plotting problem or defalco thought of it later but the whole point of ff 360 is it ends up with more or less johnny blowing up the entire island um to destroy dreadface and so the exact same thing happens this time. So considering Dreadface came back, Ben is aware enough that that won't kill him. But it's that like, uh, but we ran out of pages, so waka waka. I mean, it's... It's stunning. Yeah, it's it it literally is just everything about it. I mean, just ridiculous amounts of 
I, I, the whole setup where it's like, oh, th- it's this amazing Florida resort that's run by gangsters and the gangsters under the thumb of the one gangster. So he makes a deal with like the woman who's, you, you know, Dreadface who stole his girlfriend's body. So she's like, you know, Dreadface shows up and is punching people and and Emmanuel King's like, Carrie, is that you? <laughs> So, it's just, you know, and then, and so she, and, and it does, it's kind of, I mean, there's just so many choices on this. That's like the fact that King is, you know, because Dreadface takes over and again, possesses everybody in a way that neither Trimpy nor DeFalco really understood or Trimpy didn't convey properly to DeFalco. Uh, I mean, I mean, DeFalco compared to Trimpy, like it's just all of a sudden the resort is like dead and lifeless and everyone's more or less controlled and things like, uh, this is a terrible place to check into, you know, basically the only people who are still in it are like him that aren't possessed are like him, Franklin wild streak and her dad who showed up and the two gangsters who were like, well, this looks bad. I wonder what we're going to do. This is really not good for business. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just a weird, I, I, I mean, it makes sense that it is literally just killing time and page count, but it's, it's such a weirdly specific way of doing it. You know what I mean? Like, Honestly, this is just one of those stories that if someone had told me um, Tom DeFanco like managed to do by rolling dice on D&D random encounter charts, like from the Marvel superheroes game or something, I would totally believe it. It all seems like specific in a way that, but also somehow utterly random, you know? Like you said, yeah. they don't even. None of the heroes really end up doing anything. Doing anything, yeah. Yeah, they so. literally show up, yeah. and are present mm-hmm. while other things happen. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, as if that isn't weird enough, uh, we have the second story that is part of this weird Len Kaminsky mega story that's been told in the back pages of these annuals um for literally for, for a long years time. now you know yeah. yeah and this is this is the next step of it in which the um cubic who is the cosmic being that was the cosmic cube and what's what's her name cosmos who is the cosmic being that was the beyonder um continue to explore the edges of the Marvel cosmic universe and this particular issue the riddle of the celestials uh, involves some of the worst logic I think I've ever (laughs) had the grace to have read and some of the most amazingly un-Kirby like art for Kirby visuals that I've also ever seen. So who drew this again? Brian Pelletier. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm unfamiliar with the name. Uh, I am honestly unfamiliar with the art style and that's not surprising. Let's just go with, this is not particularly good. Yeah. Except weirdly, I enjoyed it. So, you know, 
Um, but you love this shit. Like, I right. feel like we've been through this before. Yes. Where maybe even one of these Len Kaminsky stories. Yes. Where it's it's someone explains a cosmic concept in a way that manages to make everything seem smaller and less interesting. <laughs> if you're Graham, or for my tiny mind, it's like, wow, man, whoa. So, yeah, I'm kind of into it. I'm into it, and I'm into the, the grand finale that happens next issue. So, Oh, the grand finale happens next issue is great. Mm-hmm. And when I say great, I mean absolutely <laughs> mind-boggling. <laughs> so, so much. So much. <laughs> Especially because one of the things that I like, question mark, about this series, as irregular as it's been, mm-hmm. is that... It's essentially continuity-less. These two characters show up and are like, what is, you know, insert name of cosmic entity here? Yep. And then, quote-unquote, explain it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then the final chapter is all about continuity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... And continuity, like, they don't explain? Mm-hmm. They're just like, we hope you guys have been paying attention. Yeah, for literally the last eight years of Fantastic Four annuals, because this is what it's all been building to. And you're like, it it is? Like, I cannot even imagine what somebody who picked up Fantastic Four Annual 27, you know, and none of the other Fantastic Four annuals would have thought of that story. Well, so. to be fair, and let's just go straight into 27. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who picked up this comic unfamiliar with Marvel and or Fantastic Four Mm -hmm. would make because the main story is essentially just a series of in-jokes. Yes. Then this backup Mm -hmm. is the Kaminsky story that is, I mean, continuity heavy is being polite. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is reliant on people remembering who fucking cosmos is yeah you know and she basically appears once a year at most Mm -hmm. she appears once a year at most her creation is uh comes directly out of the steve englehart run that marvel has done everything in its power to bury ever since and again like there's bits and pieces in in that story that tie back into like the backup stories that um, they were doing of magma or what's her name? The molecule man's Uh, girlfriend. uh, Volcana. Volcana, Volcana? Right. Yeah. Volcana's backup strip that pops up. Do you remember like Volcana had two backup stories and we really liked them. I did. I did. And they weren't by Len Kaminsky, but you know, not, not to say anything because I did like the Kaminsky cosmic stuff but the idea that those i mean even if it's just something as slight as you have to know that she left him uh owen reese the molecule man like it's it's kind of hilarious like that story has like i i just don't i i honestly cannot imagine what anyone would think of it It, yeah 27 is oh god okay so we have 25 is a mess yeah 26 is a mess in an entirely different way yes 27 is arguably the most coherent of all of these issues 
uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, or the, so. Or the, or mm-hmm. the most, uh, and also the most professional. It mm-hmm. is, however, genuinely based on your knowledge of not just Marvel Comics, but Marvel ephemera behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It is obtuse to the point of I can't even think of a term. Yeah, like it. It is. It is amazing. Yeah, that this saw print. Yeah, it it and really is. It's amazing the saw print written by Mark Grunewald when it is essentially an extended Mark Grunewald joke. No, it's true. It the whole joke is what if Mark Grunewald wrote a story about the character that was clearly inspired by Mark Grunewald. Oh no, and, but also and is about Mark Grunewald wanting to quit Marvel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because there is the how, but how much he really wants to quit. I mean, again, it's like I don't know how much that's true. How much of that is supposed to be a joke? It's it's just weird enough that again, like I said, it's a story that on the one hand really does not care about. Uh, it doesn't really care about the Fantastic Four, and it's very interesting that it is. It's literally. Mark Grunwald self-insert fanfic where Mark Grunwald really doesn't care about Mark Grunwald. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's not your traditional, he's, he's not a, a you know, Gary stew or anything like that. Oh, yeah. he's, he doesn't save the day at all. No, he is. He's a, a, a nebbish middle manager yes. who is unhappy with his job, but also thinks that he can't quit. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. I, I mean, it, it's okay. This actually does require a plot synopsis, like as, as much as Dreadface doesn't. Yes. Mobius's trip. Do you get the pun? Yeah. Is all about Mister Mobius, who is the Mark Grunewald-inspired manager of the Time Variance Authority, as introduced in the Simonson run, mm-hmm. who basically is told by his boss that he has to sort out a problem created by the Fantastic Four in, in that storyline and is shown to A, hate his job, mm-hmm. B, hate the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Like, like actively hate Reed Richards. Yes. And and just kind of be bitter about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is, thanks to Sue, basically arguing with him. He is is convinced to try and get a job at another Time Variance Authority-esque organization, which happens to be Kang's. Yes. And then, much to his surprise, gets an offer from Kang, because I guess that's how Kang works now? Right. Only for him to tell his boss, who is fucking Tom DeFalco? Yep. Who says, no, nobody ever quits Time Variance Authority, and so he gets a raise instead. Mm -hmm. The end. That's the comic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I do want to say, though, isn't it isn't it Scott who actually suggests that he, like, quit his job and, like, go get high, like go get a better job elsewhere with a competitor? No, no. That, you know, sorry, that's that's 100% right. I was just looking at the earlier Sue argues with him scene. Yeah. yeah. It's Scott, Scott is the one who suggests that he gets I, another job. For some reason, because that's also the part that I think is sort of 
funny or apt, I guess, you know, just kind of like that idea of like, oh, yes, Scott, like there is something really, I mean, the thing that's funny is like if you were telling the plot synopsis of this story in a bar to someone else, they would think that it's hilarious because you because it to me, it's really funny that Scott Lang, who is the member of the Fantastic Four, that is like more or less the freelancer is the only one who gives him like freelancer advice, which is, you know, just try and get a better job. Like there's competition. They'll totally hire you away if you're good at your job. That's the only way anyone get gets advancement anymore. I thought that that was, of course, funny. The idea of Grunwald's there, of course, the, the enforcers of the TVA are Simonson's little, you know, sort of Judge Dread designed ripoffs. Like, it's the thing. Except now they're called, like, Justice Love and Justice Truth. Yeah, Justice Truth and Justice Liberty or something. It's, it's, it's all, um, it all sounds like it should be hilarious, but it's, it's boring. Like, there's scenes that, like, where... The FF get, you know, captured by the TVA and thrown into the negative white space room that only makes sense if you've read the Simonsons run. Like, there's no real context or understanding for what they're doing or what's happening. You know, it's it's a lot of stories of, I think at one point, Sue confronts uh, Mobius and like KOs him with a force field thing and then runs off and says something like guess he wasn't expecting such aggression from a mere woman and didn't safeguard himself, which I'm like, I was too lazy to go back, but I kind of feel as a shout out to Simonson's earlier. Um, oh, really? I took that as a shout out to DeFalco with his whole, Sue going through her thing when she was possessed by malice of basically being like, ah, I'm not just a woman. I must prove that I'm not a woman by like stabbing people with my invisible daggers. <laughs> no, I think what happens is she KOs him earlier in, in Simonson's run. And he was like, I wasn't expecting it from a mere woman or something like that. So I, but I could be wrong, but yeah, it could be, it could be, gassing on DeFalco who knows the the but it just it goes it goes on and on and on it is it's a, an extended joke that isn't funny mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you get to like you know 40 pages in and it's just why is this comic still going yeah. it's it's one of those things that you feel was hilarious to people who worked at marvel yeah completely like I said, if you were describing this at a bar, like uh, during a con, like pitching it over a couple of beers, someone's like, oh, this is hilarious. You've got to do this. This is going to be fantastic. And it's just deathly dull, like and um, and pleased with it, amused with itself in a way that all but guarantees it's not going to be that funny, you know, like. Yeah, it's it's just it's. It's a terrible comic. And what's really funny and really tragic is this is the last annual in the Fantastic Four run. Yeah. Yeah. This is the way it goes out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, until it comes back later, because there, there are later annuals, right? Not in the first run. Well, no, not in the first run, admittedly. But I'm just sort of saying, like, eh. I mean, you know, perhaps the, the plus side of nothing ever ending. 
is like the annuals. This isn't really the last, last one. Exactly. This is the last, the last one. It's not the last Fantastic Four annual ever. It's yeah. the last one we'll cover. Yes. But it's it's just, like you said, it's it's a story in which, once again, the Fantastic Four are entirely incidental. Yeah. Yeah. There, if this, if if Simonson had done this story inside the, the Avengers instead of the FF, this would be happening in an Avengers annual. You know, yeah, there's just exactly, yeah, no, no, it's it's, um, it's again and again is that thing of like, wow, you would not know that Mark Grunwald was a good writer if you were going off these two annuals. So. Yeah. Not not from this not from this comic at all. No, this this is this is it, it, nothing happens and nothing happens for forty pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So for me, the other thing that I think is kind of interesting is uh, molecular psychology, the second uh, story, which is the grand wrap up of the Len Kaminsky cosmic epic, is that at least. Uh, Mark, Mike Gustavich has a lot of pages to tell very little story and and it blows it up with like lots of single page um, spreads, like lots of double page spreads and single page introductions of the characters. And um, it, it's not good, but at least there's a sense of scope or it's trying to tell something or do something oh, it, it it feels like something is happening yeah you know it, it really it does feels epic it genuinely does mm-hmm. uh, in, in a way that is almost hilarious compared with the story that came before yes yeah you know it, it's it, it's astounding mm-hmm. that the quote-unquote main story is so devoid of of events yes of anything Mm -hmm. and then you get a backup in which it is literally like the fate of reality rests on these 17 splash pages (laughs) totally totally and so and again also this thing of like it's 17 pages and it's arguably a story filled with nothing but nobodies that len kaminsky has been writing about in like 10 to 15 page chunks for years. And yet it's got, again, all that Marvel cosmic stuff that I love right down to, you know, a omnipotent figure managing to, to triumph over another omnipotent figure by appealing to mercy and, and showing the kernel of humanity in, in the heart of, um, you know, all this cosmic knowingness. It, it it's I get that I get that, Graham, that you could not have I mean, I'm sure you quote unquote appreciated it, but I can't imagine that you really liked it because it's so not your bag. But um yeah, I'm a sucker for this and Well I, I here's the thing. I did like it for the simple reason of it's so dumb. Yeah. So for people who have been following this this plot line, and God bless you, I wouldn't blame you if none of you were. Yeah. Because it has been so drawn out and so slow. Yeah. The Beyonder and uh, Owen Reese the Molecule Man turn into a cosmic cube during Engelhart's run. That cosmic cube then gives birth to Cosmos, who is a a sort of female cosmic figure. Yeah. So and who then travels around with Cubic 
who is the male Cosmic Cube mm-hmm. child from another storyline. Mm-hmm. And the two of them, for, for multiple annuals, question what the cosmic elements are. Yeah. And, I, you know, have in a series of incredibly boring stories. In, in this <laughs> in molecular psychology, Owen is depressed because, as, as Jeff said earlier, he's been dumped by Volcana in, again, an annual, like, four years ago? Yep. Um, and he's so depressed, he wishes he could be someone else, which allows him to have a psychotic break, and the evil Molecule Man of his first appearance comes back, mm-hmm. and then gets so mad at the Beyonder that he sucks the Beyonder out of Cosmos, mm-hmm. and the Beyonder is the Beyonder. Yes. Like, with with his Secret Wars 2 outfit and everything. Mm-hmm. And the Beyonder gets beaten up by Evil Molecule Man yeah. in, a, in a, a just genuinely amazing fight sequence. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so overblown and, and just ridiculous. It's <laughs> it's kind of wonderful. Yeah. Only for the Molecule Man to essentially defeat the Beyonder, the Evil Molecule Man to defeat the Beyonder. Then Cubic shows up with a dying Cosmos, and it's basically like... But think about the flowers. Like, if you die, <laughs> like, like, there's going, like, the fairies are going to be sad. Just, you know, what about love, man? And that turns the evil Molecule Man back to Owen Reese, who restores Cosmos to the end. Yep. It's, it's astounding. Yeah. But here's the thing. It actually feels climactic. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the main story. Mm-hmm. And that appeals to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an important lesson is ultimately, uh, you know, it could I think it's fair to say that a bad story is um, is better than no story, <laughs> you know, but also this kind of does like it's it is dull. It is it's spread across literally years. But because we've been reading all the annuals. I read all the pieces and I'm like, as you point out, unlike the Dreadface story, it has an ending, you know, it, it actually has a reason for all the characters to be in there. Unlike, you know, the TVA story. And it's, I don't know, you know, it's, it, it, it ends up being the best thing to come out of literally the last seven years. Yeah. And, and again, because it starts way back earlier like like however long it is it's the culmination of i didn't even really look but let's see if i can figure out offhand where this really starts um yeah i i yeah i don't i mean part of us is like who cares it doesn't necessarily really matter but like it's it's just it's amazing that this story is the best thing Mm mm-hmm yeah yeah, no. You know, and, and, and in many ways, it speaks to the poor quality of the, the, the main stories. But that's what I think, you know? But but also, I mean, it sounds... I, I, I was going to say it sounds damning with fame praise. It is damning with fame praise. But Len Kaminsky, take some sort of a bow. Yeah, I think so. I, I abs- I've read other Len Kaminsky stuff and been completely um, underwhelmed. Oh, okay. So literally, uh, the first Len Kaminsky story appears to pop up in Fantastic Four 23, Beyond and Back by Len Kaminsky, Greg Capullo, 
and Larry Malstadt. So, so this goes on from for like 23, 24, 25, 26, like five years. And, and I guess the Volcano stories pop up like in, in like in other years. Cause the, the Cosmos stories and everything do not, are not continuous. Yeah. There's it, years they don't appear. That's right. That's right. And they're, they're also by a different author. Although again, tie into this stuff. It's by James, James Brock. Um, like that, that one that pops up in issue 24 is, I want to say a continuation of one that pops up like in 23. Is it 23? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, this kind of, oh, you're right. Cast in fire, carved in stone. So yeah, I mean, what the hell? It really says something deeply sad that the, that the FF annuals more or less have their best quote unquote story from five years, not being about the FF, like at all, like at all. Not featuring the FF. Yeah. They're not even in there. You know, it's literally from events that sprung off from an FF comic. If you're being generous and you like, and you have to really be generous because the cosmic cute stuff happened in the Englehart's FF, but the cosmos thing didn't, that was somewhere else entirely. Oh yeah. Did it? Oh, I guess that's right. Right, right, right. Cause it's like the beyonder becomes the next version of the cosmic cube or whatever. In yeah. Englehart FF stuff. And then, yeah, there's that additional bit. Graham, it's just, whew, what a couple of issues, huh? What a, well, what a... But also, like, that's, again, these are how the annuals end, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's fair to say that the annuals do not go out in a blaze of glory. No, they Like, really when, when was the last good annual? Like, maybe the Engelhart run? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was looking at him, and it was like, oh, right. He's got that Dooms Times Two story or whatever it is that's actually a fun Dr. Doom story that's, oh, double, double or whatever. That's from FF 20, you know? Yeah. So that's five years. No, seven years. Yeah. Seven, seven, seven or, yeah. years mm-hmm. of just terrible. Well, I like, guess really, really half us. No one seems to care enough to actually focus into a good ff story yeah i get i guess that you would say that once again engelhart also does care he does ff annual 21 which is not my favorite but the crystal blue persuasion one where the inhumans i guess come to take crystal back uh and there's the reunion of uh, Quicksilver and her it's, it's not my favorite issue but there's a lot going on including the introduction of Aaron the Rogue Watcher and um, all those pinup pages that you love so much wow there's a lot of pinup pages um, <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love how even you were like oh wow wow I didn't realize this is a this is terrible. Yeah. Well, no, I knew it was bad, but I was like, oh, holy shit. Right. They've got that really embarrassing one with Alicia where it's like, it's like, hey, everyone. So glad that Steve Englehart's making you think about me in a sexual way. You know, Alicia, you know, it's like, ugh, uh, no, stop Steve Englehart. But yeah, so let's say 20 or 21, depending on, on your count. And then for like six or seven or eight years, it's 
it's garbage. And some of that is the crossoveritis that seems that seems to be a Marvel marketing strategy, right? Because we've got well, that's just it. Like so, so twenty one is the la- no twenty one, I believe, is, is part of a crossover as well. Uh, yeah, is theoretically part of the evolution war. So for 21, 22, Two. 23, mm-hmm. 24, and 25 are all crossovers. Yeah, yeah. So you have a solid five years of it being a crossover book. Mm-hmm. To be honest, 26 and 27 are maybe worse. Oh, they yeah. aren't crossovers. No, no, no. Absolutely not. I mean, it, they, it, the case could be made that, uh, that, that, Sort of in the same way that FF Annual 20 is uh, just an extra large issue of Engelhart's FF, you could say that of the, the Dreadface issue, um, which, is, which is all lined up with everything in DeFalco's run. You know, it's in a way it even has a scene that's missing from the regular FF run, which is... Um, Reed testing Franklin and being like, yep, he's our son, you know? Uh, yeah. So, but they're atrocious. They're just, they're, they're God awful. Also, Graham, I have to ask you because sort of stab my eyes. I said to myself earlier today, I, as grandpa Nathan used to as say, as grandpa Nathan used to say, Graham, you kind of are the Nathaniel Richards of the Baxter building podcast is the only reason why we really ended up having to read those is so that next issue next episode which is baxter building number 50 we would wrap up our entire run of the ff i'm not gonna say that that didn't occur to me Mm. but it's much more that i wanted to finish the whole thing by the end of 2018 okay all right the 50 thing is just happy coincidence. Mm-hmm. All right. Because also, it suggests that we will be able to get through 11 issues in one episode. <laughs> which, may not be, which may not be true. <laughs> be right. Let's oh, my God. That's yeah. going to be how, how we have to do it, is do 11 issues in a go. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Graham, what have you done to us? Uh, that's because whatnots. Ned's Baxter Building, which is going to be before the end of 2018, because you lucky question mark people, <laughs> we're probably doing the Baxter Building like every two episodes now in a desperate attempt to finish this. Yeah. We're doing issues 406 through 416. That's right, 11 issues. Oh, God. It's bold. Yeah. You know what? Well, depending on what happens, Graham, I have to say, I feel like our longer issues, our longer episodes are the episodes where we discuss uh, fewer issues with, with maybe this this being an exception. Yeah, we've, we've sped through this. Well, it's 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 easy when there's there's only so many ways you can I say mean, this is garbage. <laughs> and also, it's literally three issues. It's three yeah. issues. We've still done it for an hour and a half. So, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeesh. <laughs> there were backup stories. Uh, yeah, yeah. But still, come on. <laughs> we uh, we do apparently like to hear the sounds of. I'm going to be generous. I think we like to hear the sounds of each other's voices. I think that's true. I think that's true. I'm always glad when you're when you're pointing things out. Uh, and also, um, there is a misery loves company 
uh, factor here. <laughs> so uh, that, we're definitely going to test that next next episode, Jeff, because it's it. I, I'm not going to spoil everything, but I'm going to spoil it. We <laughs> are going to get the return of Reed before we're done. Man, man. Well, see, this is it. We're going to have to speed through so much and have some closing comments about, I guess, try and make some sweeping statements about the Fantastic Four? Question mark? I don't know. I do like that you've adopted my saying something and then saying question mark afterwards. <laughs> you did it like four times in this episode. I'm going to be saying I it for know, the next I week. Don't know, I don't know why. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I picked up from a friend of mine. And I did, like, I had always knew that knowing that I picked it up from someone but didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. And then when she said it, I actually stopped the conversation. I was like, it's fucking you. <laughs> you did you this did. to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Kelly. That's what I'm saying. Um, we will do Ned's Baxter Building 406 through 416. Holy shit. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. And, and just actually speaking to what we were just saying, don't forget that this book actually ends on a crossover. Oh, God. Of course it does. Of course it does. Because it's all. Because it ends yeah. on slot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. We are going to suffer. <laughs> suffer, suffer. But thankfully, why not? You're going to suffer with us. So thanks. We appreciate that. Show notes for this episode will be up, uh, let's say, sometime Monday, question mark. And I did that intentionally. Thank you. Um, at com. Before then, why don't you check out our Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. Why don't you check out our Twitter, at waitwhatpodcast. Why don't you check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. Also, Jeff has a Twitter, at LazyBastid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter, at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And this entire shenanigan exists because of your thoughtful, gracious, and hopefully you don't regret it contributions <laughs> via Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Why do you tell people about them? Yes. Uh, as you know, listeners, we are so grateful to have you help be part of this circle of co-enabling that happens that allows us to read terrible comics and talk to one another about it and even wistfully reflect on good comics uh, over on uh, the, I was going to say over in the pages of the uh, regular wait, what podcast and let's face yeah, it, pages, the audio pages, the audio pages. And you know, there were some amazing FF issues that were very, very enjoyable that I vaguely remember 700, <laughs> 800 years ago. Do you remember when we started this off and we just loved it? Oh, yeah. It was it was great. I mean, it really was. Like, I... Well, and there's the stuff that I remember fondly. Like, there's patches. There's always patches. And at a certain point, there's something that I worry about what this last stretch says about me or maybe my capacity for reading comics, which it's like... If there's a perfectly shitty, awful comic uh, available and it's got even half of something that I find interesting, I'll be like, huh, yeah, I'll read the next issue of this, you know. But that's nothing from the heights from which we we kind of started at, which really are amazing. It's it's like traveling down into a, 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 a canyon <laughs> that you realize stops in hell. Anyway, uh, 
Wow. I, I love that, like, you got there from our Patreon thing. I know. I was like, right. So let me pivot from that to thanking everyone, uh, especially the people uh, who support us on Patreon. Uh, throw a little bit of extra coin here to help us from um, doing what uh, our Uncle Nathan referred to as stabbing our eyes. Uh, after reading these comics, but instead keeping us inspired and motivated to to keep trundling along deeper into the flames. Uh, we especially like flat scans, <laughs> like flat scans. <laughs> Perfect, Graham. Perfect. I guess say hey, that is that makes it all sing. Anyway. We we owe a special debt of gratitude to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, we're especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast. Uh, but really, thank you, all of you, honestly. We mean that. Graham? Because this is the Baxter Building, uh, Jeff is going to sing us out. But I just want to say thank you very much for sticking with us through all these annuals, because really, they did turn shitty. Yeah, it was pretty dire, but you know, we're 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 almost at the end of a grand adventure, which is kind of amazing to contemplate. Uh and on that note, um join us next time, uh I think for the last time in the lobby of the Baxter building.